welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher. Today, I'm welcoming Paul back to the show. You're going to say, Paul who? Back to the show. We haven't heard from Paul. You know, there's a reason for that. And that would be the last time we recorded, well, we tried to record this episode, was April Fool's Day of this year, so April 1st. And we recorded, we talked for how long, Paul? Oh, good hour and a half. Yeah, at least. And uh, I had the recording going, and it was going, and it was beautiful, except it was only me. So you <laughs> didn't get any of the story, really. Uh, so that was no good. And uh, there were other things that happened that almost made the, the whole thing not happen. So, Paul, lead in with your stuff that happened that made it not happen. Um, well, there's two things for me. First of all, um, a couple of days before we were due to talk, I um, this massive tongue ulcer um, mysteriously appeared, which made talking literally a pain. Um, so I thought, well, I'll leave it, uh, you know, um, I'll leave it until the uh, the day that we were due to talk, whether to cancel or not. Um, but sorry barbara i've had a bit of coffee so i'm feeling a bit hyper so no, go, go ahead <laughs> so yeah i know you put this out so do you want me to re-answer no go ahead go I told ahead myself in knots there i got tongue-tied instead of having a punky tongue i got a tied tongue <laughs> <laughs> i think the curse is back now i can't last last time we talked i was so articulate i was just flowing now i can't you know i probably well i can't even finish this sentence properly so <laughs> Go, Internet gods, I made an offering. Here's a, there you go, kiss, kisses, Internet gods. Um, my God, sorry, Barbara, I'm going mad here. Um, okay, calm down, Paul. Yeah, so basically I got a tongue ulcer, so I thought about cancelling, but I thought I'd, I'd wait until the day and see if it got any better, and it did. And then um, I arrived early because um, you uh, thought I was four hours ahead of you, and I went by your timing, and it was five, so I was waiting around half an hour, almost left. But then I saw the video pop up. I think it was either you or one of your friends was fixing it up. So yeah, that was my husband. Oh, your that husband. That was Zach. Yeah. yeah. So I hung around and um, eventually you appeared and said, you're early. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that, that's it. I'm never going to try to record on April 1st again. Um, it was also a... a in our house, it was the end of a string of stupid things that happened that that were that was going on. So I did all sorts of offerings to all sorts of beings inside and outside of the house to stop the foolishness as much as possible. Promised many, many more offerings, and it seems to have calmed down. You know, there was a string of bad luck that happened to me, to people in the house it was ridiculous um you know it, i even fell on my face uptown while walking in a crowd of people uh college students and nobody seemed to notice it except you know me my knees my arm you know <laughs> so so nobody offered to help and i you know climbed back up and was like what was that so yeah it was a weird little little span of time and and yours wasn't the only episode to get messed up 
during mm. that span of time. Yours was just the most dramatic. Basically, what happened is I recorded myself, nothing of Paul. And we were just like, we tried to retrieve it in the backup recordings and the backup recordings didn't record. So whatever that massive failure was, it is hopefully no longer doing itself. So Paul, I am really glad to have you back because, you know, we had a great time last time. Hmm. Um, that means I get to hear the stories again, which is always fun because it helps mm -hmm. me make art that, you know, illustrates the stories more effectively. So Excellent. jump right in wherever you want to start. Okay. Um, well, I'd like to mention my grandfather who I never met. Um, or I, I may have met him, but um, he died when I was like two or three years old. But the interesting thing about my granddad is he had cat's eyes. So his pupils were like uh, cat slits. And um, mm -hmm. he had a drink problem and he had a huge, he had like um, nine children, eight boys and a girl. And um, he was a builder. And um, apparently a lot of his money was spent down the pub rather than on his family. Um, so I would like to have met him because being born um, with cat's eyes, um must have been very traumatic especially if you think he was born you know at the end of um the, the 19th century mm -hmm. uh, where the, the understanding i probably was uh not as <laughs> developed as it would be now and i was wondering you know it's very rare um uh, this condition it's genetic apparently and i was wondering um how much ancestral trauma that would have caused because obviously you know people um other people in the family line would have been born with this from time to time because my mother was worried that one of us uh, mm -hmm. would, would have it so uh, there's a link between the paranormal and trauma apparently um plus he's scottish and i have uh, i think my grandmother was irish so scots irish seem to be prone um to fairy phenomena yeah so uh does that uh do cat eyes affect uh physical vision does it does it change vision do you know did he have i've no idea no my sister remembers him she's six years um older than me she said it's very unsettling and my mum said it, it was disturbing so you know she said that's the first thing you noticed about him and uh you know when he looked at you so you know, imagine being born in the Middle Ages with that. They would have, that well, would have they would have probably killed the baby. You know. Yeah, I was about to say I, I don't. It would, yeah, <laughs> it would not be good. And and in the early modern period too, in the you know sixteenth, seventeenth centuries with the witch craze, mm -hmm. that would have just been awful. And uh, yeah, because my co-host Morgana is studying the early modern period and she said you know the medieval period people were a lot more civilized than the early modern period she said you know we always think of history going in a straight line everything moves forward everything progresses but there's all kinds of steps backwards and forwards and sideways mm -hmm. with the way history moves and and I think that's also true of how we interact with the entire world, you know, the, the seen and unseen worlds. 
so you you have you know you go back and forth in belief systems, back and forth in what is considered normal and abnormal. Mm-hmm. You know, she she points out that the the Reformation brought about the Protestant Revolution, which was okay. That's that's fine. That there were some questions there that that did need answering. But then it also sort of disenchanted religion, Christian mm-hmm. religion at least. Whereas, at least with Catholicism, uh, you you had the the interaction with the inner and outer worlds, with the uh, material world and the spirit world. So, yeah, she she's very. We've had huge discussions recently about how large chunks of the early modern period isn't as great as we like to think, and huge chunks of the Enlightenment era, which we all love, especially in America, because that's where we, you know, became a country. Woohoo, yay, mm-hmm. great stuff. But we we threw a lot of, you know, baby out with the bathwater when we became this rational, materialistic society. And then the Victorians came. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then it was just kind of uh, oh. so why don't you tell us I'm really interested about your grandfather now mm-hmm. so but tell us tell us your stories too sure yeah well um, this is one I've told you before but I, I won't preface everything I'm going to say with I've told you this before Barbara um, but <laughs> it's, it's okay it's the first <laughs> unusual experience I had um, the first one I can remember really and um, I was between um, five and eight years old, and um, I was into dinosaurs. Um, and my father was a keen gardener; we had a large garden, so I used to root around in the soil after he dug it over to plant his vegetables, and try and find dinosaur bones. And um, one day I found a tooth, and it was a canine tooth, and uh, in my Charles's imagination um, it belonged to a dinosaur so I was very excited and it and it meant a lot to me even though in reality it was a dog or a fox tooth so I used to um, carry this tooth around with me and it sort of took on a magical charm I suppose uh, and then one day um, I woke up I seemed to wake up get out of bed go down have my breakfast and go off to school and uh, we the children used to congregate in the playground before the morning bell rang for assembly and um, I put my hand in my pocket while I was standing in the playground to retrieve uh, retrieve my tooth and it wasn't there so uh, I searched frantically all over my other pockets um, couldn't find the tooth and then I had the bell ring uh, to go in for assembly and I became distraught because I, in my mind I'd lost my tooth. So I remember either crouching down or just collapsing down on the ground um, in grief and um, the thought came into my head, well the, the strong wish came into my head, I, I wish it was had been, I wish it was the day before so I still had my tooth. And that wish seemed to gather energy I suppose almost like a spell, I can imagine like a wizard casting a spell and infusing it with um, all the energy you can muster in tension. Uh, and that's what this felt like. And lo and behold, when I, opened, uh, when I opened my eyes, I was in my bedroom in bed. So it, it, it was almost like I had gone back in time and it was the day before. 
Um, obviously, then I didn't know about um, a phenomenon called uh, false awakenings, which is what lucid dreamers um, and other dream, ordinary dreamers sometimes experience, is where you think you've woken out of a dream, um, only to find, you know, after you brushed your teeth that you're still in the dream. And, you know, so whether that was a false awakening or I actually had gone back in time, I, um, I'm going to suspend judgment on that because I really, you know, I like to think that I went back in time. I had the power a child has to make magic work. Yeah, I like that story. Um, interestingly, we just talked about Morgana and she just now texted me to tell me that her uh, history finals done. <laughs> <laughs> but she would love that story because she too was a uh, a dinosaur obsessed kid hmm. and it's a very similar kind of experience that she she's had a couple of things in childhood that are questionable as to was I awake was I dreaming did hmm. I did it happen and it in a way it doesn't really matter it it exactly hmm. It's it's part of your story and it's part of your uh, personality and experience that leads to you being you now. So mm. I don't think it, it much matters. But then again, I'm not a strict materialist who, you know, everything has to have a rational expl explanation. So take that with a grain of salt. If you were, I wouldn't be talking to you, Barbara. Exactly. What your podcast is is because of the laid back conversational style, uh, style and the open mind you have, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, talk about your other experiences. Okay. Well, the next one um, that um, is a uh, was an NDE like experience. I say NDE like because I don't think I actually died, but um, I. Um, this took place when I was around 10 years old. Um, I was at the dentist um, having yet another feeling because I used to, there was a candy shop on the block where I lived and I'd regularly go there and um, buy my money on half penny chews. And these chews were awful. They used to stick to the back of your teeth for hours after you finished chewing them. <laughs> yeah. So have one thing after another. So, um, because I was a child, they used to uh, give me an anaesthetic to knock me out. So I must have gone there over the years, you know, uh, at least three or four times and had anaesthetic. But on this particular occasion, um, I, I didn't, I came back into consciousness and I found myself um, just as like um, an amorphous um, consciousness floating uh, through this tunnel dark tunnel but the um and the tunnel um went slightly to the right it curved slightly to the right and also had an architecture to it, it had a structure it was like um every two or three foot and i'm using this is all metaphor of course because there were no measurements really but every two or three foot there would be like a, a circle but the circle would be like uh, made out up of like Three or four straight lines, straightish lines. So it wasn't a perfect circle. Oh, okay, yes. And um, and this in the internal voice we have, you know, which, with which we speak to ourselves, 
when I opened my mouth, I said, I want to stay here forever. But it came out as, I want to. It was like that because the bliss was unbelievable. Talk about the peace that passeth all understanding. And I, all I said was, I want to stay here forever. I've never experienced anything like it um, since as well. And um, it must have taken quite a while to get me out of the anaesthetic because the, the dentist had gone and the guy, the guy who administered the anaesthetic, and there was a nurse standing over me and um, with a, like um, a bit of um, a concerned look on her face. Think, probably thinking, why isn't he coming out of this? Why can't I revive him? He should be back into consciousness by now, you know. Um, but this this might make you smile. And you can edit this out. This is a bit too scatological. But a year or two ago, I went into hospital for a colonoscopy. Is that what they call it when they put Yes, colonoscopy. You, you can talk about those. Everybody of our age and, and older <laughs> knows all about those. So, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the reassurance. Um but they have a screen because I was on laughing gas and they have a screen where you can watch the camera mm -hmm. go up and inside you around your bell. And I and I thought I've seen this structure before because the bell tunnel looked exactly like the tunnel I went through. <laughs> <laughs> it had the same structure, the same sort of rings, you know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Circles. So I think I was more like perhaps um, a turd going down a tunnel, you know, <laughs> rather than a soul <laughs> oh that's you know i've never heard anybody describe it that way uh, here in the united states they don't always uh give you nitrous and then let you watch the the screen sometimes they just knock you out entirely I it depends on the hmm. it depends on who who's doing the procedure i've always been knocked out but my aunt had had it the you know you can look through and watch and and she she said that it was a fascinating thing but she kept getting uh distracted by when she'd blink her eyes by this really bright light so she, she you know she didn't get to watch the whole thing uh, but that's really interesting now that brings up the idea that are we being digested by some sort of process <laughs> when we have NDEs or when we die? Are we being sucked up into this different reality that, I mean, wow, that, uh, that's interesting. I um, feel like my friend Josh Kutchin would like that little metaphor there. <laughs> I'm going to have to tell him that. Perhaps it's just me. Perhaps it's the universe telling me that I'm a piece of crap. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think that's true. <laughs> Maybe we all are. <laughs> well, we're human beings, aren't we? It's son of a yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty cynical about that, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you want to hear another story? Of course. Um, I'm all about stories. Okay, I'm going I'm going chronologically here. Um but this has, I have this theory that um, magic is like a human being's default and it somehow arises from what we are, our very being. We are mm -hmm. magical beings. But in our culture, well, Western culture, when 
magic has been relegated. This is magic with a K, like the Crowley spelling. It's mm -hmm. been relegated to fiction. Um, you know, no, nobody really takes it seriously. But um, I've had a few incidents in my life before I knew anything about magic. Um, which, re, which I've acted in a way that is magical. And I'll give you this example. Um, so there was a lot of trauma at home. I was, I was 12, 13 years old. I just hit puberty. And there's a lot of trauma at home. And so going to school just piled on more trauma. And I became very introverted. And I became a target for um, this other boy um, who I let bully me for um, a year or two. And um, I built him up into this. Uh, he never hit me, but he was a psychological bully. And I became literally, um, I felt, you know, the thought of going to school became so terrible that I began to play truant, um, sky of school. Is, do Americans use them, the term truant? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So um, I got into trouble for that. And um, so I let myself be bullied and bullied. And then one day he wasn't there um, and I found out that he'd ha he'd um, been knocked off his bike by um, a car. Oh. So for a month he wasn't around and it's like a huge weight had been lifted from my shoulders. You know, I could breathe again. I wasn't afraid to go to school. And um, of course, inevitably, he came back and the terror came back as well. And um, so I used to imagine over and over again him being knocked off his bike and you can imagine all the fear that was going into this you know um in uh, empowering my imagination wishing that he'd go away um because at the time i just didn't didn't have the spine to stick up for myself so um lo and behold he wasn't at school one day and um i was standing next to his friend and his friend was describing to this other boy what had happened and apparently it was a repeat of the accident he'd had before he'd pulled out of the road where he lived um, on the t-junction um, to, to like uh, he'd been hit by a car and i remember his friend's exact words he said it was it was it was like a, a replay of the first accident it was so strange of course at the time i didn't know anything about magic or uh, so i just thought it was a coincidence but you know after hearing about how magicians do spells, I was thinking maybe, you know, because I'd invested so much emotional energy and imagined it so vividly over and over, maybe I did cause him to have that accident, a second accident, because his friend did use the word replay, you know? Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, the good news is um, a few months or a year or two later, I um, punched him in the face and he left me alone after that. So. <laughs> He, he that's good yeah i'm glad that he didn't get killed on the replay there oh, yeah <laughs> yeah i mean he was a kid you know kids do bully other kids from time to time oh they're horrible himself, so yeah. yeah you know i kids kids seem to me to be much more able to do magic easily than adults because mm. they're not told it's impossible or if they are, they don't really listen. <laughs> you know, they, they kind of just, in their imagination, their imagination is so strong that mm. it makes it so, it, it, it's not impossible. And again, you're absolutely right. Feeding it all of that fear and anxiety 
powered your wish. And mm. that's one of the things as um, witches and uh, ritual magicians, what they do when they do magic is you have to raise some sort of energy, emotional energy to, to place into the spell to make it work. It's not just like I lit a candle and then I talked to the elements and then it was nice. And no, it's not nice and it's work. It really is work, but it's, you know, if you visualized it over and over and over, of course, that's what it was. Mm. Yeah. It, if it had been a different kind of accident, you know, he fell off a ladder or something, then who knows? But it being almost like a, a repeat of the first accident he'd had. Because I heard the first description of the accident he had, him being knocked off his bike, and that's what I was visualising over and over again, that particular accident happening again. So for his friend to say, yeah, it's just like a replay, you know, that to yeah. me says that maybe it was a spell that worked. Yeah. And a yeah. spell because I had no concept of magic then. Yeah. It's the other thing is, you know, kids often will will do things without – without realizing or understanding w what they're doing and then why it might have worked. Um, you know, you don't, you, we don't have magic 101 in school to teach you how to do these things. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that's both good and bad, I guess. You know, some people you wouldn't want to know how to do that because that would not be a good outcome. But at the same time, I don't like that our entire society squelches children's imaginations. Mm. So, yeah, that's a that's a good thing, bad thing kind of situation. Yeah, I heard about um, from an anthropologist um, that there is a society where witchcraft is. Uh, you know, taken for granted, and they're, they're very paranoid society. You know, because they, they, a lot of them go around thinking that um, a, a lot of them walk around in fear of having a, a, a hex put on them, or a, mm -hmm. so maybe in a way, you know, it is it is good that we live in a society where magic is considered unreal. Yeah. Although that's changing, I think by um, the internet, I think is changing that. It seems to be. Um, very popular now witchcraft but you're right i mean to to light a candle and put no real emotional charge into what you're spelling for is probably just a waste of time but uh, it seems to make some people feel good so uh, yeah know. so it's not a waste of time if it makes somebody feel good then but you're right i i think that the that see i was i owned a metaphysical bookstore with my husband back in the mid-1990s in a small college town in Ohio. And, uh, you know, there were lots and lots of people who were interested in tarot readings. I did readings for the public. And there was all sorts of interest. And then it seemed to die down for a while. But now, you know, like, like that town, Athens, had a lot of pagans in it. 
a lot mm-hmm. of neo-pagans, a lot of neo-witches, you know, lots of people who practiced magic, probably because this place is really, really spiritually active. There's, I mean, there were spiritualists here in the 19th century, and it's famous for all sorts of strange things happening here. So that was probably why. But now there's, you know, I was looking in, in, uh, uh, the internet for magical shops in West Virginia, which is where I grew up. And it's kind of like, it's considered backwards. It's considered, it is the only state that's completely surrounded and contained by the Appalachian region, the Appalachian mountains. So there is no place in the state where you can get out of that culture. And that culture is in a lot of ways, superstitious backwards. There's lots of negative stereotypes about it. But what was interesting when I was growing up there, you couldn't buy a tarot deck anywhere. Like you couldn't just go into a store and buy one. It was really, really rare to be able to find them. And, you know, I had two friends that had tarot decks, one of whom had gotten it from his father who, you know, handed it down to him. And the other one, she had gotten it in Ohio when she had gone to um, Kent University, Kent State. So, you know, these were imported from, you know, other places. Mm -hmm. And they were considered to be so rare and exciting. You know, nobody, you couldn't buy any magical items. You had to make them yourself. You had to Back in my day, when when I was a young witch, you had to walk uphill backwards, sideways to do anything. You know, that's what it sounds like. But it, it was really that rare. And now I look at it. Oh, and even in the 1990s, uh, there was one magical shop in the state that I know of. And it was in the capital city. So there was one. I looked just a couple weeks ago, and there are five of them within the three county corridor that makes up the central part of the state, a a two city metropolitan area. I say Mm -hmm. metropolitan. It's not, you know, it's not like London and the surrounding. No, 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 no. But it is two cities of relatively the same size and then suburbs in between them. All of the suburbs used to be rural, rural areas when I was a kid. So, through that corridor, uh, which is about, you know, 45 minutes drive, you know, from one city to the other, there's five shops. Some of them are in little tiny towns that you would not think of as a place where witchcraft would be considered anything but the devil's work. Mm. So I think that we're becoming re-enchanted in a way Mm. that, it's it's even so popular that in places in the Bible Belt here in the United States, we have little shops coming to life and, and, and they have enough patrons to continue business. So I think you're right. It is becoming more acceptable, even in places where, you know, there's a lot of, you know, people who you know, think that that is definitely the devil's work. 
do you think some of those um, shops also trade on the internet so they're um, they're posting outside the area as well you know taking online mm -hmm. notes? some of them do I because mm -hmm. I wanted to see if they had websites and some of them only had websites that basically advertised events you know mm -hmm. they're having a psychic fair on X day or whatever and um, there was like two that would do online ordering but the the other three were pretty much just using the internet as a way to get the word out and to network so i thought that was really interesting and there's even there's even more of them outside of those big cities um there's some in smaller towns that i would never have believed would that would be a good thing that would happen I, it's shocking to me. And and I, I had already mentioned Josh Cochin. He had uh, been traveling, I think, to, his, his, to North Carolina from Georgia. And they saw a witch shop in a little tiny Appalachian town that had a full parking lot. People coming and going. And mm. they stopped there. And he said they, they, they were fully stocked with books and all the things. And he was like... I think the world is changing <laughs> a lot. Hooray. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so That's we'll marvelous. see. Yeah. 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 I've heard, um, you know, the, um, about the satanic panic. I think it was even here. Because um, mm -hmm. who's that um, famous magician, uh, British guy who died recently? Uh, oh. I forget now, but he uh, he uh, they made um, a spoof documentary about him on one of the channels here, and the police took it very seriously, and so he ended up in the, the USA um, because he was being persecuted here. Some I, I I you might want to edit that out. I I butchered. That's it. okay. I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. Genesis Peorage, that's the guy. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of him. No. Topi, but now I'll look him up. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, I'm just trying to think of something. Uh, yeah, perhaps now's a good time to do the Austin Osmond spare synchronicity. Yes, um, yes, we're both artists and uh, of a magical persuasion. So, um, so okay, so um, f well, it's three years now, three, three or four years ago, um, I got into art and magic. Uh, roughly at the same time and um, this is an academic interest in magic by the way I don't practice it I'm too afraid to um, so it wasn't long before I came across um, Austin Osman Spare and for those of your listeners who don't know um, he was um, a London guy who um, was born at the end of the 19th century and um, was a magician and an artist and his art's well worth checking out. It's uh, it's it's amazing. And um, so I told my friend Tim that I I'd started uh, drawing, um, but I hadn't told him about the magic because Tim is a very rational guy. He's a doctor of philosophy, and I thought he would just poo-poo the magic, right? The interest in magic. Um, so. Um, I talked to Tim about once a month and uh, 
So he said, oh, have you heard of an artist uh, called Austin Osman Spare? I said, uh, I said, well, why? Um, he said, well, my, we just bought, we bought this house and we're furnishing it. And my father, who's, who's collected art over the years, said, go up um, into the, into my attic and you can take three paintings home with you. And he said, one of the ones I chose was by a guy called Austin Osman Spare. And oh, said, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I'd, I'd become obsessed with Austin Osman Spare. I bought his, um, his um, biography. And I'd been trying to find play, you know, um, places where I could go and see his artwork, but the only place that burnt had had a fire, I think it was owned by a local council, and they stored his art, that the, the art they had in the basement, so it wasn't on exhibition anymore. So um, I said, "Well, it's funny you should say that, Will um, Tim." <laughs> 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 Hadn't had his permission to talk about this, Tim, um, because. I, I, I recently discovered him. I said, what a, what a synchronicity that is. And so um, we met up and uh, of course I went, I'm, I went around his house and uh, had a look at it. And it was a, it was a, it was a disappointing painting. It was a <laughs> landscape, a dreary little landscape. I've, I've got a picture, I'll have to email it to you. But, uh, I was expecting this fantastic, you know, he, well, if you see his oh, artwork, I was expecting yeah. one of those, but it was this yeah. dreary landscape. I thought I didn't even. I said, "How does your father know that it's by Austin Osman Spare?" And he goes, "Oh, he knows. He knows what he's doing." And even if it wasn't for him to mention Austin Osman Spare out of the blue like that, not knowing that I'd become it's, obsessed, yeah, still the it doesn't rob the of us being a synchronicity. That's that's still amazing. Um, that would be like, I I love the artist. Um, Rosalind Norton, have you heard of her? Oh yeah, the witch. Rosalind. Yes, the, yeah. yes, the the Australian New Zealand witch, mm. and uh, her her art is often just uh, compared to Austin Osmond Spares, and it would be like you know being told that oh you know I've got a Rosalind Norton, you should come by and see it, and it being of you know. Nothing like anything else that she's ever painted. You know, her it's stuff has the outback. Yeah. 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 Like it would be a picture of, you know, that big rock in and the middle rock. of Australia. <laughs> and it's just, you know, that that big sacred rock, but nothing, you know, no little dancing creatures or or spirits or neo-pagan gods or old pagan gods or naked people or anything <laughs> i can see you looking at it going oh well that's um oh that's nice <laughs> and being so sad <laughs> yeah but isn't it isn't that the way with a lot of these experiences though they um they um they surprise you they go against one's expectations, you know. Mm -hmm. They sort of usurp your expectations. Yeah, that's part of the energy of it, I think. I think so, the trickster energy, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, hey, you want to see an Osman Osman? <laughs> Here, have a dreary little <laughs> landscape. Woohoo! Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> what? That, that... There are no naked people. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there may have been. I mean, if I'd stayed I mean, long enough, I might have some pareidolia. I might have seen, you know, some nakedness in the foliage. Or Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, maybe if you took a, a magnifying glass, you know, if it's a small painting and just, you know, looked really 
carefully. <laughs> You'd see little naked satyrs dancing around in the trees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My artist friend has this app called Mirror Lab, and um, I don't know if you know about it, um, but you can put anything into that, and it's excellent for pareidolia. Oh, neat. Neat. I'll have to look that up since uh, I, I like to take my own paintings that I've already done and then run them through various digital apps and change them and see what happens. Or I will use the digital app to create something using just a verbal um, a, a verbal prompt like ghost goat and then it will spit it's an AI and it will spit out something that has to do with that prompt and you, you can choose an art style from the presets and then you get ghost goats um, and I've done paintings from the ideas that are generated from that AI. Wow. That's interesting. It's, it's called Wombo Dream. And I can work with it on my phone. And it, it gives really interesting perspectives. But it's funny. A lot of people find looking at that art disturbing. I think it's kind of the whole idea of the uncanny valley, which is where... Mm -hmm you look at something that's almost human looking, mm. but not quite like some of the new um, skins they're putting on robotic um, creatures, things and, and they, they look lifelike, but not quite. I think that that's what disturbs people about some of the Wombo dream art. Um, I, I think it's fascinating now. How'd you spell Wombo? Uh, just like it sounds, W-O-M-B-O. Wombo, I'll check that out. Yeah, and I can email you or you can find them on my Instagram if you do Instagram and you can see some of the stuff I've come up with. Mm. My, my next thing that I want to do is do a painting from an idea from Wombo, paint it, then run it through Wombo again then do the painting from that and then run it through again and see, oh, loop it. Yeah. Yeah. see how many changes it goes through. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, that, that process, you know, that the, the, uh, the art my friend produces with mirror lab is fantastic, you know, but the annoying thing is it's only available on Android and uh, so I'd have to buy an Android device to use it. Yeah. <laughs> See now, now I'm like, oh crud! I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering how much the um, maybe now's the time to talk about my um, the relationship I I I have with um, the three dimensional silhouette. Um, yes, because that's that's all that I think in the area of pareidolia. Um, because I think often uh, paranormal phenomena skins itself by um, drawing on our um, something from our minds um, to pre present itself to us in a way that maybe we can get a handle on it. Um, so, okay, so uh, just a brief explanation. Um, 
I, ca I carve space up in, I don't like the word dimensions. I, I think space is just an easier way to do it. So there's the waking, for me, there's the waking space, uh, which all of us know. There's the dream space, which all of us know. And that includes the lucid dream space as well. But there's also what I call the third space. And this is where um, I meet with the three dimensional silhouette. So um, I think I asked you, you know what um, a morph suit is, like that skin yes. like a suit that covers you from head to toe. Right. Um, if you imagine a very um, shapely, bald female clad in um, all in lycra, so it's, it hugs her figure, um, that's what my three-dimensional silhouette looks like. Um, um, I've, I asked her if she had a name. She, she hasn't got a name. She said she didn't have one, but I've heard that spirits don't like to give their names because it, it gives you power over them so yes I have a name. anyway um so i'll start from the beginning the first time i and i'm assuming it's the same entity by the way it may not be but um when i was in my 20s um i first encountered her in just an ordinary dream the only unusual thing about this dream was oh uh, okay so um i'd obviously gone i've gone to bed fallen asleep and the next thing I, I'm conscious of is this um, is this three-dimensional silhouette, female silhouette, running up the stairs towards my bedroom. So I must have fallen asleep, gone outside my body, and been hovering in the landing to see this silhouette running up the stairs. And by because it was such a startling spectacle, it made me realise that I was out of my body. I, up until then, I'd been unconscious. So I think that's what made me conscious. And the next thing I know, I was back in my body and she was sitting on top of me. I'll call it a she. I don't think it's a she. Um, so she was sitting on top of me. Then I then I woke up. Now, I hadn't read anything about three-dimensional silhouettes. I, this is pre-internet. I had no direct idea about any of it. A lot of this, what, I, what we've talked about and what I will talk about, took place before the internet. And I hadn't read hardly any books. Right. Um, so I... I it was unusual, but, you know, you just get on with your life, don't you? Right, and then, yeah. Um, so, okay, now I'll skip to the last two experiences I've had with her, which have been in the last year, because these are interesting, because um, this takes place in the third space. So um, I'm fully conscious of this. It's like I've got my daylight waking consciousness. So I'm as conscious as I am in that space as I am now talking to you, just as rational, just as critical. And um, so what what usually hap what's happened in the last two experiences, I've been laying in bed asleep and then I'll feel a sharp nudge um, roughly in my lower back area. And I'll, and it'll be her. She's behind me and I'll turn around and I'll know it's her. Now, she doesn't she doesn't frighten me. Because we have a sexual relationship. Um, so we enjoy each other in that way. And then for the last two times, I've, I've been asking her questions. I've been interrogating her. Um, I can't remember the order of the questions, but, um, hang on, I've got a couple of them written down so I didn't forget. Okay. So, um, yeah. So I asked her her name. She said she didn't have one. So I said, I asked her where she was from, and she said, I'm from the Jessica, which struck me as odd. Um, and I, uh, this is how conscious I was. I didn't want to forget what she was, uh, 
she was saying. So I used a mnemonic device, which is I, if somebody tells me their name, I picture somebody I either know or somebody famous. So I, well, later on, I can recall their name. So the only Jessica I could think of was this baby in a soap opera in a comedy series from the 1970s. So I just used that image to remember her name. So that's how conscious I was and rational. So I said, the Jessica, and she could hear the puzzlement in my voice. And she said, yes, um, the prophetess. So I, I said, well, can she give me a prophecy? And she, she said, um, you, you, will, you will face dark times. And again, I, 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 by you, I didn't know whether she meant me personally or humanity. So I asked her to disambiguate and she said, no, she said humanity, not you personally. So um, when I came back into waking consciousness, um, I went on the Internet and fed the name Jessica in because I had a feeling it was either Greek, maybe Greek, because it had that classical feel to it. But it turns out it's Hebrew and it means seer, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't know. I had. Yeah, so so basically that's it in a nutshell. There's probably other things. I, I recorded these dreams, but I'm such a disorganized person. I have a dream recorder. It's got hundreds of dreams, and I don't know where they are. But uh, this is the this is the most important, I think, because it it went against my expectations. You know, I would never put the difficult definite article before a name. Why would I? It's like right. the Barbara. I'm going to talk to the Barbara this evening. You know, why would I do that? It's against my culture. And, you know, you'll face it. But I think as we talked about last time, you know, these uh, some of these entities are well known for these epic like prophecies. Mm-hmm. The world's going to end in, you know, 2020 and it doesn't happen and people are left looking silly. Yeah, They'll it's happened about, over and over. Yeah, yeah. So I don't take what she's saying seriously. But it's interesting that she used the word the, um, the Jessica and it turns out to mean the prophetess in Hebrew, the seer in Hebrew. Yeah, that is interesting. Mm. I, I I think that's utterly fascinating. Um, you know, I as soon as you told me the story the first time, I thought of a succubi, mm. a succubus, um, because well, I mean, and that is also a a concept that comes from um, Greek and medieval Latin and Hebrew for that matter. Um, The very first succubus was supposed to be Lilith, who was Adam's first wife. Mm. And she was made uh, equal to Adam. She was made of the same stuff that Adam was made of. And she did not, this is all outside of the Bible. This is all in apocryphal writings. Um, So she, she wouldn't, she wouldn't lay beneath him while they had sex so she ran off she's like screw you i'm not having this and she ran off and and then she started creating demons and a succubus does this by stealing a human male's um sperm to Mm. fertilize herself and then she makes half human half demonic children so that's that's the story of of lilith and the succubi, but it is really, really interesting to me. Um, you had said that 
did you ask her if she fed from you or did she say oh, she did yeah, you jog my memory I, yeah because i lost my previous notes and i i made these hastily yeah yeah that's interesting um i i said uh because i i had heard you know from podcasts that um these entities they can feed on fear they can feed on sexual energy so i asked her i said do you come to feed on because she generates sexual energy in me and she said yes and i said and i said are your visits so infrequent because there are others that you feed on she said yes but the interesting thing is um the sensation i feel um okay this uh, this might be too graphic so i'm gonna i'm gonna um it's like i'll, I'll just use the term it's the base of my spine she mm -hmm. probes there at the base of my spine and it's a sensation i've only ever experienced with her but and it's um it's very intense and it's like it's almost like um because i have had a, a a kundalini experience um it, it this is more sexual than the actual waking kundalini i had it's, it's a very sexual feeling but it's it's she this is why you see i, I don't mind her visiting because it's very energizing so it feels mm -hmm. like I'm getting something out of it too. Mm -hmm. It's like, and I'm just grateful she's not some sort of, she doesn't appear to me. In, yeah, and this has jogged my memory again, because I'm glad she's not a fear feeder, because maybe yeah. she, she could appear to me as the hag if she thought that she could get that energy from fear. Or maybe she only feeds on certain frequencies, maybe certain types of energy, you know? Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, so this is one question I asked. I said, um, could you... Could you show me your your true your true form your true appearance because you know if you imagine you're looking at this just this black 3d silhouette blacker than black i mean she's blacker than the ambient blackness around me in, in the dark room mm -hmm. and um she she morphed into this model um that i've been drawing I, I i download from the internet these packs of models to draw and i downloaded uh, this model called laura and i've drawn her hundreds of times laura she's a middle-aged woman and um so she moved into laura in front of my eyes and another time i don't know whether this uh, she moved into my one of my ex-girlfriends when i asked her to show her true form to me so she's a shapeshifter Mm -hmm. and I, I doubt whether that 3d silhouette that i'm seeing is her actual true form i just think that's another um way she appears you know she's just mm -hmm. on some something in me so i can make sense of her and of course it's arousing if you think a very shapely woman right so she wants to generate sexual energy so she's going to appear like that right that's all she can muster sometimes you know she can't fill out all the details it takes more energy perhaps than she's getting from me you know yeah i was wondering if that's why she appeared sort of uh uh basic you know that's the the mm. basic shape not a specific human shape you know she she may not have even gotten the that from you but she knows the basic human female form mm -hmm. that is attractive to to many heterosexual men so she she that's her sort of that's her go-to but then you asked for a different form 
And I think it's interesting that she picked two ideas from your brain. Yes. And used those as if to say, oh, this is my true form. Now, I can't believe she doesn't know that you're smart enough to figure out that, <laughs> that she's kind of putting you on and is being evasive mm -hmm. about her true form. It could be she doesn't know her true form. Yes. It could be that her true form is amorphous and is just something like a light or a shadow that, you know, is just kind of there. And then it coalesces into a shape. Mm -hmm. And then if you ask, she will take on, and I say she, who knows if she's a she, um, but t she appears as a she to you. So we'll call she, call her she. And she takes on the extra energy to create a shape that you can recognize, but she basically pulls it out of your brain. Yes. I, I again, Greg Bishop calls that co-creation mm -hmm. where something in your mind connects with her consciousness, your consciousness and hers work together to put a face to her. And I look at it is I'm a little bit different. I, I don't, I see co-creation in some places, but I also think that some of these entities that want to interact with us use our minds and our memories and our ideas, our cultural ideas to basically reach in. It's like a closet and they would just reach in and grab a shape off of a hanger mm. that we would find most frightening or most comforting or it is depends on what they want it for or most sexy, you know, they, they mm. pull out something and put it on. Um, and then the next time you see them, they might choose a different costume from the hanger, you know, and they might do something different. I think it's interesting that, that she very definitely took two specific forms and faces that were yours and then reflected it back at you. I think that's really, really interesting. And also, um, two people that I found attractive because, uh, mm -hmm. I found the model attractive and obviously my ex I found attractive. So again, you know, she didn't choose to be an old man. She, you know, she pulled out the, uh, what I found to be attractive, but you're right about co-creation. I mean, one thing that has to explain is how a group of people can see similar, the same thing or a similar thing, you know, mm -hmm. mine was individual, but you know, there are, these things can be witnessed by dozens of people and they all, their descriptions match. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's all kinds of different reasons as to, you know, it could be why they match. It could be that they are actually seeing the same thing, mm -hmm. or it could be that there are people who see things a lot all the time who are, I kind of think of it as like an umbrella that the energy of people who see things and experience things often can kind of bring other people under that energetic umbrella and they will see similar things because they're standing within the proximity of the person who sees things a lot. Because I've had a lot of experiences with people 
around seeing the same thing I was seeing, like a lot. And most of, many of them are not particularly sensitive. Some of them are, mm. but some of them aren't. And so I have wondered for a long time if, if that was what was going on, that there was some energy that I could kind of pull my companions in close and help them see what I could see. What is interesting is I had a friend say to me before I started having experiences with other people seeing the same things, she said that I was, um, what did she call it? That I, I was able to create rapport with someone, and I can't remember the term she used. She, she had very specific ways that she talked about magic that was fairly unique. Um, she said that I was able to open other people's minds to what I saw mm. and could, could let them borrow, in a way, my consciousness. So I took wow. that and then kind of turned it into this umbrella. Yeah, that's very interesting. When you said that, it reminds me of um, um, shared death experiences a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how um, a person can, like, um, share in somebody's near-death experience. They can, like, see the dead relatives appearing to them or, you know, the light. And yeah. Like very majestically and energetically piggybacking on the person who's dying. Yeah. You know, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The, I think you're, you're, uh, from the Jessica person creature, uh, succubi, whatever, whatever you want to think about her mm. as is really, really interesting. And the idea that she chose the word that means seer. Mm. is also interesting because that's not what she seemed to be all about until you asked. Yes, yes. And she answered in a way that wasn't direct. Well, I'm from the Jessica. Mm. Well, you know, if if you hadn't thought to look it up, I mean, it sounds nonsensey, doesn't it? Mm. It sounds really pretty ridiculous. It's like, I'm from the, which the Jessica? I mean, Jessica Tandy. <laughs> Jessica from Dune, Lady Jessica, what are you doing? <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting that she communicated with you truthfully, but not clearly. Or yeah. seemingly truthfully, but and not that, clearly. Unless you just assume that I'd know what the Jessica meant, you know, yeah. and that's what she clarified with the proper test when she heard the puzzlement in my voice. Yeah. That is interesting. I, I wonder seen, if there. Sorry. I wonder if there are other creatures from the Jessica running about doing things. <laughs> now, I'd love now it now if somebody heard this podcast and said, "My God, we had exactly the same experience." I had exactly yeah, I know, right? Experience. So, if any of you have heard from a creature from the Jessica, please email me because I want to oh. know, or message me on Facebook or whatever. Because, yeah, we all want to know. Just a, a bit of a tangent here, but I want to tell you before I forget. Um, I my I I um, emailed uh, my artist friend the link to your podcast where you talked about sameable colors. Mm -hmm. 
and oh he loved that episode his name's oh. his name's danny and he could now he calls himself dan of all colors because he's an artist as well that's awesome yeah yeah sam of all colors is one of my favorite uh high strangeness critters ever and you know i didn't even experience him but i just love that whole story it's just so fascinating yeah, I bought Zelia's books specifically for that chapter on Sam. Um, she has a lot of other good stuff too. She's yeah, great, isn't she. I love listening to Zelia. Yeah, yeah she's fun. Mm. She's a lot of fun. I'm hoping to meet her this year at the Mothman Festival. So I keep our fingers do. crossed that you know the pandemic doesn't explode again and mm. you know stop the festival from happening. So. Right, um, another story. Um, yeah, perhaps uh, something Keelian now that the UFO in London, central London. Uh, yes. This one's straight out of John Keel. Um, okay, so I was at, I was at university studying philosophy, and this would have been nineteen ninety six. And I was probably at my most uh, atheistic and rationalistic. So I had it coming, really. I needed this experience. <laughs> uh, so it was um, it was one evening in the autumn, and it was rush hour. Um, it was between, say, 5 and 7 p.m. And I was walking over Waterloo Bridge from the North Bank over to the South Bank to catch my train home. And uh, I... It was dusk, or it may have been dark, probably dark by that time, but I looked up at the sky and I saw um, coming towards me from the south bank this um, sphere. Um, and it was um, it was a dull grey colour. I have no idea of the size. Uh, it wasn't massive. I suppose the normal thing is, oh, if I held my hand out and looked at my thumb, you know, it was about the size of my nail. I can't remember. It wasn't huge, but it wasn't small. It's big enough for me to see in, you know, in um, lit up like central London at night. Um, but it was quite hard to make out. You had to really look, you know, you had to notice it. So I thought, what's that? And at first I thought it must be a bloom, but then, you know, blooms taper towards mm -hmm. Um so as it approached, um, I looked around because I wanted to, to see if there was anybody else around, any pedestrians that I could say, can you see that? You know, and point to it and see if they could see it too. But the un this was the weird thing. There was nobody on the bridge. This was during rush hour. Should have been, you know, at least one yeah. person. <laughs> yeah. Nobody. There were cars going past, but of course I couldn't stop one of those. And I was fascinated by this thing. So I thought, I had this thought, and I don't know why I thought this. I thought, if it goes between me and St. Paul's Cathedral, then I'll be able, you know, I'll be able to roughly see how, estimate the size of it, which doesn't make sense because it would still give me no idea of the size. Because you don't know the distance. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But blow me down. It's like it read my mind because eventually it went over, glided over towards St. Paul's and it went smack in the middle of the dome. So it was like the upside down you perfectly framed the perimeter of the circle, you know? <laughs> and uh, and it seemed to stay there a long time, but that might have been my mental state at the time because my jaw dropped because it was like it was reading my mind. Yeah. 
didn't know that some this is an aspect of this phenomena that it does interact with you mentally and so eventually it moved away and went over the north london and um so i just thought what the hell happened i remember getting on the train the train's absolutely packed that's why i also confirmed it was rush hour for me in my memory you know i said i've just seen a ufo you know but it wasn't a sorcerer's sphere right it wasn't an orb it wasn't internally lit like it wasn't a ball of light it was just a dull gray orb and uh yeah and that really i think you know i think it's jeffrey kripal who said weird things happen for a reason yeah and i think it's the kick in the butt i needed to like um can contribute to my eventual disillusionment of scientism yeah even though yeah. you know, i have experiences that really i should have taken heed of and thought well you know there's scientism doesn't explain so much that i've experienced it's i think there comes a point in my in my life where i just wanted the world to make sense you know i was what 30 years old i just wanted the world to make sense and now i'm reconciled to the fact that it doesn't make sense and it's a complete <laughs> mystery and you know it's quite liberating. it can seem threatening at times depending on what mood i'm in but I'd rather choose that than to have stuffed myself into the coffin of rationality, you know, and lead a dull grey life. Yeah, maybe that's why the sphere was dull grey. <laughs> Correspondence, yeah. <laughs> yes, right. yes. You know, when you talk about scientism, I, I just want everybody to understand it's not the same thing as science. Exactly. Mm. Science is a method that allows us to understand the world and the universe and scientism is not a method it's a belief system mm. wherein you believe in the rational almost like a clockwork universe kind mm. of idea that everything is sensible rational understandable that eventually we will understand everything. But the the hallmark of scientism to me is when people conduct scientific um, experiments with things like psychic abilities or who do surveys of supernatural occurrences or who are, you know, parapsychologists who take down you know, statistics on anything, you know, UFO occurrences or whatever. But for, for psychic abilities, there is so much scientific research that's been done that has shown that it exists. And yet, you know, if it was something about physics, we'd believe in it, it'd be in textbooks. But... The a lot of the scientific community just say no, it doesn't happen, it doesn't exist, it it's never it's never been proven because that's scientism. That is the the belief that even if you're doing scientific research and it really is scientific, not somebody going that's scientific and and it's some you know weird new age God knows what they're doing kind of thing. And it actually follows the scientific method and you get results that say 
psychic abilities exist, well then to be truly scientific, everybody else should look at that and go, Oh, well, 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 okay. But instead of questioning your own world, their own worldview, they go, Oh no, 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 mm -hmm. no. That's scientism versus science. You know, when you, when you go, no, 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 that can't possibly be. Um, so yeah, I've got an upcoming, uh, episode that, where I speak with a physicist and um, his wife and uh, he's, he, he very much talks about scientism versus science and he's really, really interesting and it involves spheres that are lit up. They're not dull gray, but they're lit mm -hmm. up. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. so look forward to that. Yeah. I, and so after that, you, you became a little looser in your, you know, grabbing on to the materialism. You kind of chilled out after that. I, I think, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, especially in the last four years where I've discovered podcasts, you know, because I'm a bit lazy when it comes to reading. Mm -hmm. And to be able to, you know, and I've listened now to thousands of hours like um, Where Did the Road Go and all these other great podcasts about high strangeness, magic, and uh, these people aren't lying. They're not mistaken. You know, and I've had experiences myself and some of what they describe I've experienced and they go on to describe other things that I haven't experienced. So it makes it all believable. Mm -hmm. You know, even to the point where I, there was an episode uh, of Where Did the Road Go where two women were talking about this character that appears in dreams and also in their waking life as well. It's like he, to, to him, there is no boundary between dreaming and waking. It's all just one space. Mm -hmm. And I believe them because they're, they're either great actresses, you know, Hollywood standard actresses. Or, yeah. I mean, they lie about that. And there's no, there's no gain. They're not going to make any money from it. No, no. It, you know, it's really interesting um, I know exactly what you're talking about because I was in the kitchen um, uh, cooking dinner because I, I, I don't always have somebody hanging out with me. So that's where I listen to podcasts. So it's more like the noise of, of a professional kitchen that I used to, you know, I used to work in a professional kitchen. It's very noisy and energetic and working in a home kitchen by myself in the quiet is kind of boring, not as exciting. Mm -hmm. So I'll put on a podcast to listen to. And I, I heard uh, one of the women talk on Strange Familiars. I think it was Natalie. But, you know, she was talking about she finally got a name from this entity. And he said, Gwen. And she she was like, what kind of name is Gwen? And I'm yelling at the podcast. I'm like, Gwen Upnud. Gwen Upnud is the underworld guy from Wales. What? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like she could hear me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like it was going to travel back in time to when it happened and she'd hear it in her head, you know, no, that's not how this stuff works. That, that, that's the lady I'm talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a fantastic uh, story. And it's, it's one of those things that I find fascinating because it seems like the, the entity used a face that she was familiar with mm. to put on his, his form so that she would listen to him, would be attracted to him, would engage with him. 
Mm. And I thought that, I mean, it's very much like you with, oh, well, what is your real form? Well, I'm going to pick something from your mind and put it in front of you because won't you find this appealing? This is appealing here. Mm. What I really look like is not appealing. Maybe. Or I'm not going to show you that because that's akin to giving my actual name. That's another. Yeah. Or maybe that I'm so alien. You just wouldn't even know I was there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Your brain wouldn't accept it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I saw a creature once that was essentially just weird light that just sort of moved around. It was like some business from Babylon five or star Trek. It was like this amorphous creature of light. And in fact, it looked very much like the, the native form of a, an alien that's on Babylon five. And I literally thought I was dreaming. So, you know, I said aloud, you know, Vorlon, why are you on my ceiling? You know, what are you doing up there? And then I realized I was awake because my cat jumped off the bed, walked over into the hallway where it was. It was on the ceiling of the hallway, looked up and started meowing at it. And that's when I was like, wait a minute. And so, you know, then I started doing the pinch, pinch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh. And of course, it wasn't really a Vorlon. You know, I, I, I know that, but that was the image in my head. So then I had to sit there and try to be like, huh. I wonder if it pulled that Vorlon image out of my head yeah, or if it yeah. really is just a weird, you know, sort of writhing light in green and yellow up on my ceiling. Why, why is it up there? And then I went right back to sleep, just like so many people do when they see something strange, when they so wake up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It didn't scare me. If it had frightened me, I wouldn't have been able to go back to sleep, but it was weird. And then, you know, I was telling my daughter about it the next day and I said, and it looked like this. And, and she was like a Vorlon. And I went, yeah, that's what came out of my mouth. Vorlon. Why are you here? It didn't answer me, whatever, you know, maybe it was something that popped out of my head. I don't know. Maybe it was a portal and it wasn't really an entity at all. I don't, I don't know. It didn't do any harm. So I didn't worry about it. That's another intriguing aspect of um, some people's stories, the fact that they'll have these uh, high strangers and experiences and then just go back to sleep. Yeah, it happens over and over yeah. and over. And, and you know, most people are like, well, how could you go back to sleep after that? Well, I don't actually know, really. Yeah. You know, that when I lived in an area that, in a house that, there was weird stuff happening outside of the house all the time, sometimes inside the house. I didn't sleep much during those years. Um, that There was just so much stuff happening that I, I didn't for like the two years that we lived there. I, I look at my diaries from that time and I'm like, damn girl, you didn't sleep much. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where I had a friend who was like, you need to move. This is, you know, this is not cool. And, uh, but now it's it's much more calm. You know, sometimes I'll look out of the window at night at three in the morning because I woke up for no reason and see weird lights bobbing around. And I just, mm. you know what? I doesn't matter. I'm going to close that curtain and go back to sleep. 
That is not for me to witness, whatever. I'm, I'm done now. <laughs> You're in your retirement phase. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm done. I'm done. I'm just going to. Don't want to stare at them. God knows what they'll show me. <laughs> yeah, it's a double-edged sword, this stuff, isn't it? Um, that's yes. why I stay away from magic because, you know. I, I do magic very rarely. Um, I've had I've had some weird stuff happen and unintentional things happen and no, I'm not going to play with it. I know it works, mm. so I'm not going to play with it. Yeah. That's wise, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's Terry Pratchett, I think, is... The one who, yeah, it's Terry Pratchett's Witches Books, um, which are stories set on Discworld. And uh, the Witches of Discworld are uh, one of the leaders, Granny Weatherwax. They all have really funny names. She says, you know, witchcraft, you don't have to use the magic very often. True mm -hmm. witches just go into a situation and fix it by whatever means is necessary. And most of the time... It's visiting someone who's sick, who needs soup, and needs their house cleaned and settled, and, you know, needs their children fed while they're recuperating, and you don't have to cast a spell to do that. Mm. And that's kind of how Morgana and I both view the way we, we do witchcraft, is we do it as little as possible. Mm. There are other ways of, of settling a situation, and you're not supposed to be doing magic all the time. Mm. You know, you, you, <laughs> it's not necessary. And sometimes you get bad things happen. So don't do it. Unintended consequences. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Yes. There are lots of stories about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So many stories about it. And, and I think those stories are there for a reason. Mm. Folklore. Some folklore is very clearly like what we hear on podcasts. These are experiences that happen to people that then have become part of a culture and the stories have been passed down mm. and they're meant to educate other people. Okay. Yeah. That, that ring of mushrooms. Yeah. Don't step in that. Don't, don't, don't. Oh, and don't eat those mushrooms and uh, don't eat anything. If you do happen to see, a bunch of people dancing around in a ring of light and, and they offer for you to come in and dance with them. You know, don't eat anything. Don't drink anything. You know, just like Persephone couldn't eat or drink anything in the underworld without becoming part of it. You know, let's not yes. do that. Let's, yes. let's keep that. Let's not, you know, that's almost a worldwide thing. The prohibition against eating or drinking anything from the other worlds. It's very interesting. Um, but there's also the stories that were told to entertain people. And so people kind of get the idea that, well, the entertainment stories, they're all entertainment stories. And I think there's, they don't, again, that's that 18th century enlightenment period where we got all rational and, you know, thoughtful and perfect. It's throwing the baby out with the bathwater again. Yes. Time for my fairy story, I think. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, 
when I left school, I went to work um, for my father and my uncle. They owned, jointly owned this con small construction company. And um, and I'll get my notes here so I don't forget anything. Um, so one of the first jobs um, I went to was this uh, to partially renovate this um, mid-Victorian house that stood alone in about an acre of land on a slope and um, it was owned by a woman called Mrs N and her husband and they had a daughter uh, who was around my age so I'd have been 17, 16, 17, 18. Um, it was quite a long drive to this place from where where I lived, where we lived because I used to, me and my dad used to use the same pickup, travel together to the job and um, okay, perhaps I'll tell you. Okay, so we were working inside the entrance hall of the house, um, and it was wood panelled, and it had this staircase that went up. It was a large entrance hall, and we had the floorboards up. And um, I suddenly, out of the blue, I thought to myself, "This place has a ghost." And then suddenly, I dismissed it because I thought, "Oh, it's just the building. It's an old building, you know." wood panelling reminds me of like the Hammer House horror films I'd seen. Yeah. Jump to that conclusion. Anyway, so we complete the job, leave, and um, a few years later, my, my dad and my uncle have a falling out and uh, the company breaks up and uh, I leave as well because I felt uncomfortable working for my uncle after what went down between him and my father. And um, Mrs M heard that I was on, I needed work. So she said, would you like to come and help me restore the garden a couple of days a week? And I said, yeah, sure. Um, so I started traveling to her house a couple of days a week. And um, the routine was I'd arrive around 8 a.m. and I'd go into the kitchen where she'd made a cup of tea, being very British now. <laughs> and we'd sit and drink tea and she'd basically tell me what she wanted doing in the garden and it was mostly grunt work you know because it was an it was an unkempt garden it needed a restoration right so i was there to do the, the hard labor um so it must have been fairly early on but she said uh, to me um oh we have a ghost and immediately i thought oh <laughs> I, saw, <laughs> <laughs> I saw already knew by so my <laughs> rational part of me dismissed it, you know. Right. So she proceeded to tell me the story, and it's of um, one of the previous owners' son had gone to fight in the First World War, had returned, and a while later committed suicide, shot himself Aww. with his service revolver. And um, she said we were talking about him, and there was um, a cup of tea on the table. And my daughter and I were talking about him and we heard this crash. We turned around and the tea cup and saucer had fallen to the floor and broken. Now I was sitting at this table. This was a huge kitchen, huge table. It was a sturdy wooden table. So it hasn't like been jogged or anything and the tea had fallen. Right. Uh, yeah. So she told me a little ghost story. So uh, this is where my notes come in. Um, uh Okay, now I'll go back to when I was working for my father because this is relevant. Um, one day we were on the way to this house in the truck. And we're going through this village called Ockley 
Uh, Ockley's a very old village and the, the road we're on is a Roman road. It's straight, typical, stereotypical Roman road, straight. And there had also been a skirmish between the Vikings and the Saxons at some point. So there's a lot of history in this place. And I was looking over towards the fields because it's also semi-rural as well. It's just a few houses dotted around within fields. Often. Mm -hmm. And um, I saw this figure in one of the ploughed fields walking towards me, us. And um, he was a young man and he was wearing like a trench coat and he had long hair and black hair and a beard. And uh, he was clutching a teddy bear, huge teddy bear to his chest. And I thought, that's bizarre. For a start, I used to do a lot of metal detecting and I'd walked on ploughed fields after they'd been ploughed and they deep plough. And it's you don't want to walk on a ploughed field because it's it's very easy to turn your ankle. Mm -hmm. you know, work. And this was very early in the morning because we had to be at the job by 8 a.m. So it's probably between around 7.30 a.m. you'd have been walking. I always struck me as just very odd anyway i didn't think anything of it but having listened to subsequent podcasts you know about it's made me reassess what i was seeing really mm -hmm. there's a thousand explanations yeah it was just a, a young guy who bought a, a teddy bear for for his relative and he was on the way to give it to him because it was their birthday right there's just something odd about this figure but i rationalized it and um so that was the first odd experience I think I had. Um, so I, okay, so this is going to be out of order now because this was like so long ago now, I can't remember. But the first thing that happened was um, I would have to dig, occasionally I would dig a hole um, for Mrs. M to put one of her plants in. She often dug the holes herself, but sometimes it was a big plant and needed a deep hole. And um, I was digging and um, I came across, I, I unearthed this gas mask. And it was very unusual gas mask. And I don't know how I knew this. Maybe it's because I read in my metal detecting magazines because I used to pour over them to find out, you know, because it's a partly metal, this gas mask, I think. So it might have been an article in one of my metal detecting magazines. But this gas mask was from the First World War. And immediately I thought of the story she told me about him returning from the war. And I just got a very strong impression that he was tra a very traumatized man and he brought this gas mask home with him and somehow it revolted him. It reminded him what he'd gone through and he'd gone out into the garden and buried it. Um, and I just thought, okay, the odds of me digging a hole in this place or heard, I forget whether I chose where to put the hole or she had, but it was smack over this gas mask, you know, it was also mm -hmm. like peppering the acre with holes. The chances of finding this are pretty slim. So I thought that was very unusual to find this gas mask at the bottom of the hole, but not supernatural. You could explain it as coincidence. Um, but I don't know whether this was before I found the gas mask or after I found the gas mask, but I'd had this very vivid dream where I'd been digging a hole in the garden and I'd come across this very amazing thing in the hole. <laughs> but I didn't know what it was. It was one I'd found it, but I didn't know what it was. So maybe the dream came after the gas mask or before it. And then um, her daughter, I'd also had another vivid dream of um, I was back at the house in the dream, and I was in the house with her daughter, 
and uh, a couple of her daughter's friends and we were playing hide and seek in the house now her daughter was an adult it's not a thing uh, uh, you probably guess where this is going it's not a thing that an adult would act like so um it was such a vivid dream and it stuck in my mind so when i went one morning we were drinking our tea and i said um mrs m did pippa have friends around at the weekend and she said she looked puzzled she said yes i said did they play a game of hide and seek and she said yes <laughs> and uh i was so unaware this is the folly of youth because it seemed she must have thought is he stalking my daughter yeah to the window has <laughs> he become obsessed with her but the amazing thing is she took it in her stride and i said oh i just had this vivid dream that it happened and she she took it in her stride huh very interesting isn't it i didn't think yeah of it at the time it's only years later or you know that, I thought that she were like oh that could have been could have been her thinking i was a creeper <laughs> that's yeah mm. yeah so uh, there you go um okay she was uh there was like this um, woman who lived in the village uh, an old woman who uh mrs m got to know and um no i'll tell you this part of the story but you can edit this can you if you want oh, yeah. you need to yeah okay this part of the story i had a couple of times when I was there in the garden, I had the urge um, to take off my clothes and dance around. I can't explain it. But I, just had, I had to resist to, yeah. the urge just to leap around naked and dance around like it was filled with joy. I had to express it that way. Okay, so Mrs. M got to know this woman, an old woman who lived in the village. She was sort of queen of the village. She lived in one of the big houses there. But this, this woman had an interest in, fo in local history, local folklore. And she told Mrs. M that the site of her, where her house was built was known. I won't name it because it, it'll be too much of a giveaway. Oh, maybe I will. Maybe I will. Let's say it was the Joyful Hills. Oh. The house was called the Joy Joyful Hill House. And she said in times gone by, it was, it was the locals associated with the with the fairies mm -hmm. it was a, a site it was linked with the fairies it was a, a place where the fairies were supposed to be which i found interesting yeah you know and um another interesting thing is her husband had a job he was a record executive in a big record company and he Occasionally, we'd entertain very famous musicians at the house. And also, close by was this world, lived in the village, was this world famous musician who you'd know the name of straight away. And so, I didn't think of this until I, a few months ago, the whole area was associated with music and joyfulness. Do you see what uh, I mean? This yeah. area had attracted this record, famous record executive. Famous yeah. people from the, that business would go to this house and also a guy lived nearby was a famous musician as well and that may have been coincidence um it just seemed all to, all to tie in with the, the feel of the place the energy of the place but anyway eventually I, I was um i was fired and uh this is another thing that i've reassessed as i've looked back but um i was fired because plants started to disappear 
And these plants, you know, she'd spent hundreds of pounds on these plants and they slowly started to disappear. I wasn't, I wasn't the first to be fired. First of all, she got rid of the handyman, Peter, because I asked one day, why doesn't Peter come anymore? And she wouldn't tell me. And then she got rid of the guy who used to deliver the fuel oil. She told me why. She said, I think he was stealing my plants. Then I immediately knew she thought Peter was stealing her plants. Right. That didn't cure the problem. The plants were still disappearing. And this whole area had been fenced in. It was like a huge deer fence, six foot high deer fence around the whole perimeter of the garden. You know, so it wasn't. And then I went. And I asked her why I was being fired and she wouldn't tell me. I knew why. It was the plant. She thought I was stealing her plants. And I just thought, this is what you get for interfering with a fairy garden because she had me dig up the briar patches because the berries and briars. Oh, no, she had no. me dig those up. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think the Thorn fairy bushes, the no. <laughs> yeah, all the blackberry bushes went. And there were huge, oh, no. huge amounts of these blackberry bushes. Nope. Bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's... Mm. And she, she obviously wasn't leaving offerings for anything, and yeah. Not that I know of, no. No. Well, I hope the lady in the village told her about it, and maybe she she was told but didn't do it. I don't know, but it seems if you know that an area is associated with fairies that you might want to tread lightly. Well, you've got to remember this would have been in what? Um, the late 80s. Yeah. Um, so, and in our culture, you know, fairies is regarded as like, it's the Walt Disney fairies, little things with wings that yeah. don't exist. Yeah. So I doubt whether they um, would have taken... I would have thought they were, the ancestors were just superstitious people who believed in nonsense. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't like the 1880s with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle running about. <laughs> Cuttingly fairies. Yes. I'm talking about that he fairies. Got taken in by those. Yeah, the, 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 the theosophists weren't running about and telling everybody that fairies were these cute little critters and yeah. Lots of problems with the paranormal stemmed from the theosophists' ideas about stuff. And a lot of the New Age movement came from theosophists, too. And people, most of the time, if you say theosophist, they're like, what? <laughs> what? What's that? <laughs> Madam Black Blavatsky, is that? The yes, thing that yes. Yeah. I don't know a lot about them, but uh, yeah, there, there's there's all sorts of ideas that are part of the New Age movement that are directly from Theosophy, and I mean Theosophy was a very problematic belief system anyway because there was a lot of uh, colonialist and and racist assumptions going on with it. But some of it was useful and interesting, and which is why, you know, there's still threads of it in all sorts of different communities like neo-paganism and, and the New Age community and the paranormal community. So, you know, it's still around. We'll probably do an episode about it at some point because it is an interesting little thread that not everybody 
you know, pulls out, but I read a lot of their stuff when I was a kid because it was in the library. So Hmm. I was interested in this stuff. So I, you know, picked it right up. And also my grandmother had one of Blavatsky's books in her house. So I, I think that was the first one I looked at. And of course it's written in high Victorian like language, which is just flowery. Yeah. Mm. Wow. It's like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> but really I read lots Dickens. of things. Yeah. 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 To the descriptions just went on forever and I just yeah. bear it. Yeah, it's 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 not easy going. It's not easy literature to read. Well, we have been talking for longer than we did last time. <laughs> Do you have record? <laughs> I know. Do you have anything else that you want to say? And you know, you can always come back if you have more. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy to come back a week and do one more story, then I'll leave and come back. Or, okay, that's cool. One um, more story, yeah. Okay, um, let's do the time slip one. Oh, um, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, um, this would have been in the late 90s. I was cycling in a place called Ranmore, and I think I was on the old North Downs Way, which is a very ancient trackway, it's thousands of years old. I think it goes back to Neolithic times. And um, so I was cycling through like an area of scrubland, semi-wooded, and I just glanced to my right and I saw uh, a few people, young adults, and they were dressed in Anglo-Saxon costume. Um, and they seemed to be standing in a, in a depression. And um, I think I've made you smile with this one because I'm British. It's rude to stare for too long. So I just glanced at them, <laughs> took them yeah. in and then looked away and carried on cycling. And I put it down. I rationalized it as, as a reenactment. You know, they were just a bunch mm-hmm. of people got together to reenact. They're male and female, young adults. I'd say probably between the number was between three and 12 people there. And the reason that I think I knew that I, I, um, characterize them as anglo-saxon is are you still there barbara yep i'm still here oh, my screen went dead sorry it's back now it's because um I, as i say i was into metal detecting and i used to subscribe to this magazine and they'd have like articles about the clothing people had worn in the past because often with a metal detector you'd find fitments metal fitments from the clothing mm-hmm. so they so that's why i categorize them as anglo-saxon anyway i didn't think anything more of this but Years later, I just happened to see a documentary on TV, which was mentioned um, a time slip that happened to, I think his name is Eric Barton. He was a bookseller from London and he'd come down to Surrey for the day and he'd gone to um, a church called Watton, Watton in the village of Watton in Surrey. It was a, it was a church and he'd basically, um, him and his wife had gone in the church and they'd walked out again, found themselves on the path that didn't seem familiar to them. It's like the the environment around them had changed, the countryside around them had changed. And so they ended up, I think, sitting on this bench and having their lunch. And his wife felt a presence of three people behind her, um, dressed in old fashioned clothes. Uh, I think there's a couple of different versions of it. So if anybody's interested, just check it out. It's called the Watton 
time slip w o double t o n um of course when i heard this it made me think of what i'd seen mm-hmm. I was, maybe maybe i hadn't seen a reenactment maybe it i'd experienced a time slip um and maybe those people staying in the depression it wasn't they were staying in the depression it was that the ground was lower at the time they were stood on that spot and now because it had risen you know of all the debris falling from the trees over the years that uh it like obscured their feet and i think you said that's one of the aspects of the paranormal yeah feet sometimes feet and yeah, weird feet well yeah yeah like um often ghosts are seen and they look like a person except they don't have feet and they seem to glide you don't see the you see the legs move, but you don't see the feet. Or um, there's there aren't as many stories about um, like disembodied feet, but you do get occasionally disembodied legs moving around. Mm-hmm. So I count that with weird feet. And then there's the the fairy people. Different types of fairies have non-human feet. And that's one of the ways you can determine, like, I mean, me personally, if I was in the forest uh, chopping down trees or if I was, you know, in the highlands of Scotland looking for my cows and I came, you know, and I was there with my other male friends and I, I came across a bunch of women wearing green dresses that were awfully pretty asking me to dance with them, mm. I'd probably just say no. Um, but, you know, Apparently, I'm not male enough to, like, you know, be insensible about this sort of thing. And so you dance with these women, and they, if you happen to get a glance at their feet, you know, they, they might have hooves. If they had hooves, wow. they were glastig, and they were going to have you for lunch. Uh, so, you know, as I said, if I see some, you know, a bunch of women in green, I'm not going to mess with that. That's, a, that's asking for trouble. Um, uh, other ones, you know, sometimes feet are backwards. Mm. Like there, there's been sightings where feet are backwards. There are Sasquatch sightings where, you know, you see it, you see a Sasquatch, this large hairy creature and it wanders off. And then you look down and you see footprints, but they're like three toed. Sam, Sam of all cars have three ties on each foot. Yes, he did. Yeah. 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 So Feet are always weird. I don't, I still wonder about that. I think my feeling on it is it's a way to see that they aren't connected with our material reality, that they're not native to here. Their feet don't touch the ground the same way that ours do. Or I could just be talking out my rear end. I don't know. But it, that's the logic that I've started to apply to that. So. What do you think of um, the um, the footprints that are left, like um, by the black cats and the Sasquatch, and it sometimes you know, just be one footprint? It's, yeah, it's and yeah, I've I've experienced that myself. There was a night that um, my husband and I were awakened, and you know, I think it's three in the morning or four in the morning, and it was moonlit night, and this is when we lived in the the little house we call it the falling down the hill house because it was literally sliding down a hill and uh 
that's where a lot of weird activity happened all the time. We woke up to the sound of horses and riders going past our house. Lots of them. Like, you know, a whole bunch. And it was really weird because you didn't, we didn't just hear hooves because my first thought was, oh, it's de- there's a herd of deer running mm. past. But you could hear the jingle of the tack of the bridles and you could hear mm. the squeak of weight on a saddle. Wow. And both my husband and I had, you know, been in the past. We'd both had horses, worked with horses, ridden, you know. So we know those sounds. And so, of course, we jump up to see who in the heck is riding across, you know, right past our bedroom window at three, four in the morning. You know, what's going on? There was nothing. There, there was nobody there. We could still hear it, but we couldn't see anything. Mm-hmm. So the next day I went out you know, and, and went through the yard and through the field that was next to our house. And it was muddy. Uh, Ohio gets a lot of rain. We're kind of like, you know, Great Britain that way. Lots of rain. Mm -hmm. And I found one footprint, one hoof print, and it was small. That was the other thing is it was not, you know, your stand, it looked like a pony print, Mm. but the hoof sounds were, from bigger horses, you know, it didn't sound like little, little Shetland pony hooves. It sounded like, you know, large Mm. horse hooves. And, and I, I showed it to my husband. I'm like, look, look, there's a hoof print. And he goes, okay, so where are the other ones? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got me on that. There aren't any. (laughs) And then we were like, okay, we're going to go back in the house and not think about that too hard. (laughs) So, it's bizarre, isn't it? It's, it's so tantalizing. It's almost like it's been left there deliberately to tantalize. Mm-hmm. To make you want to understand it, to pay attention to it, to yeah. prove that it was there, except it doesn't prove anything. You know, as you say, sometimes there's only one paw print from one of the you know, alien black cats or large black cats that are not supposed to be in Great Britain, but yeah. appear to be somehow. I mean, I, I've even read uh, Sasquatch sightings in London. There was a Sasquatch sighting recently in London or uh, near a uh, railway line. Uh, it was a six and a half foot tall hairy being and there was no forest. It was just scrub, you know, it was shrubs mm. and, you know, stuff that grows around abandoned places like train tracks. Cause you can't have, you know, big trees growing there. You got to cut that down mm. so the train can get through. So where was this thing going to hide? If it was a real physical all the time kind of creature, there was no place for it to hide. Very strange. I, I, it's just one of those weird things. I was at the um, base of um, Box Hill, which is a local beauty spot here. Um, and there are stepping stones across the river because the river flows past the base of the hill. And Andy McGrath um, said he saw a Sasquatch mm-hmm. uh, near the stepping stones. I think another a woman um, did as well. And you're right, I mean... You know, my, one of my, this is a story for next time, but I, my ex-girlfriend told me um, a black cat story that she saw after oh. she 
on the way home from visiting me. Have you heard of Merrily Harper? Oh, yes. She wrote Patrick Harper's book. sister who writes yeah, the, yeah. about the alien black cats. Yeah. I, I, I love her. Yeah, she's very good, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to quickly tell you the black cat story? It'd only take five minutes. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, my girlfriend used to travel down from the north. She worked for the railroad. And um, so she used to come and visit me. And uh, early Monday morning, she'd leave very early to catch the train home. And um, one morning, um, she's on her way to the railway station and she uh, saw a black panther in the um, like field that bordered the path. And it, it was about 100 yards away from the railroad track. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the significance of that at the time because I listened to Mary Lee Harper. And I, uh, when she told me, I said, what do you mean a large house cat? Because I didn't know about black cats. Again, this was like pre-internet. Yeah. She goes, no. She says, I saw a black panther. Yeah. Just file it away, you know. And, of course, listening to Marilee Harper, it all makes sense now. She described, she said, uh, Marilee says a, a disproportionate number of these cat sightings occur around on or around railways. Which, why? <laughs> why? Yeah. Well, she's got this whole yin-yang energy. Um, mm -hmm. thing. But, uh, you know, I thought, well, maybe it's... They're fairies in another form because fairies are supposed to mm. be repelled by iron. Maybe the iron railway tracks acts as like a fence for them. They can't cross. That and could fairy, be. You know, maybe it's a block for them. That but could when, be. You know, when Merrily said they, I thought, yeah, it's exactly where um, my ex saw. Yeah. This, this cat. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I haven't seen a, a black cat. I, I just recently read where somebody said that uh, Scottish wildcats, which are significantly smaller than the black panthers that are being seen, um, can have a, a, a black morph. They're usually kind of the brownish, gray, tabby, fluffy, spotted variety, but apparently they do have a black coat morph. And... I was like, but they're still not as big as, you know, what people are seeing. I, I, I don't, I don't think that explains it. Sorry. Um, um, but yeah, yeah, we have, uh, we have black cat sightings in the United States as well. Um, also we have jaguars coming back up from central America, so down in the Mexico, the Central American Peninsula, Mexico, that area. We we had jaguars in the North America for a while in the South and the Southwest, um, but they've started coming back. They've been radio collared, and you know, because mm -hmm. they're endangered, so you know, people are watching them. And then occasionally, they do have a black morph like a leopard, but you know, there are enough stories about black cats being seen in various parts, particularly of Southern Appalachia. And uh, that I wonder, you know, what's, what's going on with that, but they were also seen in the North woods, like around Wisconsin too. So it's really interesting that, that, you know, we have them too. Um, Do you have the black dogs there as well? I know of a couple of people who have seen black dogs in the United States. 
Um, again, you know, we have so much forest land. Like, if you fly over my home state of West Virginia, it doesn't look like people live there unless you're flying directly over one of the bigger cities. Mm. It looks like forest. You know, it it's very unpopulated. And uh, there's just large chunks of forest still left. I mean, it's not, there's a like one patch of virgin forest, but it's mostly third growth, but still, that's it's a lot of woodland. And so we do have, you know, a lot of wildlife. We do have some feral dogs running about in places, but yeah, no, nothing that explains the sightings that I've heard of. You know where things disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't leave footprints. Mm. So, yeah, it's yeah, weird. They're often uh, accompanied by the high strangeness factor, aren't they? Like, uh, oh yeah, they move in strange ways. You know, as you say, they disappear before people's eyes. Only leave a few or one paw print or something. And yeah, yeah. And the glowing eyes as well. Again, you know, listening to Merrily Harper the other day, you could just substitute Sasquatch for black cat. It's the same phenomenon, uh-huh. almost. Yeah, you know? it's almost like a different shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and same with the black dogs. But yeah, there are lots and lots of cases of black dogs being seen in the United States. So yeah, whether it's a case of European folklore, British folklore coming across with the colonists, or or what, you know. Isn't there or a lot it's a of, universal uh, fun- Irish German in Appalachia. Lots, lots, yeah, lots. Yeah. Um, my own family, for example, um, on my mother's side, her father is of Anglo-Welsh descent, and very directly so. His parents came from the UK. Hmm. Um, his mother was Welsh. And his father was from the Midlands mm. and he was a coal miner. They settled in Pennsylvania it, and he mined coal. <laughs> My mm. grandfather refused to go to the coal mines and instead worked in a chemical plant and then became a farmer. And uh, so that's what he did. And so that was, that was him. And then my mother's mother was of partial native American descent she was wow. very, very dark skinned, dark haired, black, black hair, black eyes. Um, and so that that's that side of the family. And then my dad's side of the family is mostly German. And also um, his great grandfather came from Bavaria, as did his great grandmother. So it's just really, really common in um, Appalachia to have Germ- Germanic uh, settlers and then Scotch, Irish, Welsh, mm. and English. It's like this concatenation of, you know, British and and uh, Irish and uh, Eastern European. So yeah. So who knows what all kinds of. Uh, folklore came Mm. with it you know lots of stuff and i know that my dad's family there were uh traditions that that stayed even into my dad's generation that you know for christmas and stuff that was different because it was german 
and you know there were ornaments and and things that were specifically german and traditions that were specifically german so yeah we came to the new country but we didn't leave everything behind so it's worth it's worth um it's worth keeping hold of though isn't it the, the yeah simple. yeah it's what makes us who we are mm. so yeah um and that's i think it's also part of what makes americans so bizarre um you know i, I have this idea that where you where you live and and where your ancestors sort of evolved is is it affects what you can eat genetically speaking and not you know gain too much weight you know what you can physically eat and be well well americans are such a mixture of colonists from so many places plus native people that i i really think it it makes us not know what the heck we should, we're supposed to eat <laughs> what can you eat and be healthy uh, i live on south american food like quinoa sweet potatoes brazil nuts mm. I, that's mm -hmm. I don't i've always had a thing about south america for some reason so uh, maybe it's a past life maybe that's why i'm so skinny yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, thank you for coming to visit thank again, you, Paul. It's been, it's been um, good. All right. And you are welcome to come back anytime. We can always get into a philosophical discussion about the other for yeah. hours, I'm sure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Mm -hmm.